Lord, you said in your word that if the rocks, if we don't cry out, God, that the rocks would, Lord. God, you're holy and all creation does speak of you, Lord. You're not hidden. God, we don't acknowledge you because of our sin and and the world denies you because they'd rather adore their sin than adore you. But God, you're not hidden, God. Creation proclaims you, Lord, and, and God, you visit us. You came as a man, as Jesus, and you came down to us and, and showed what the Father was like. And God, there's no denying that. Not truthfully, anyway. And I pray, Lord, that, God, tonight you would just restart us, God. Restart our hearts, rekindle our hearts, that, God, we might burn for you, we might adore you, because, God, it's, it's pointless if we don't love you, if we don't have that relationship with you, God. And, and we need that, God, tonight. I need that tonight. Would you speak to us? Would you fill us, Holy Spirit, and would you just help us to see you, Lord, and fall in love with you? In Jesus' name, amen. Um, and we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 uh, tonight. Uh, when I've had the opportunity to teach here, uh, it was actually started a couple of years ago. Um, uh, it was meeting with Owen at the time. He said, you know, why don't you start going through a book? So I prayed about it and started been going through Corinthians when I've shared with you guys, or I've been up at uh, Woodstock, uh, been able to share up there. And Corinthians, as you guys probably remember, is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Um, it says things like it is. It, it, it pulls no punches, and it's very direct, but it's very clear. And a lot of times, you know, you can read the, some of the stories in the Old Testament and go, I don't know how that applies to my life, you know. Um, I don't even have a horse, let alone, you know, some of the stuff that's going on there. But in this one, it's very clear. And for me, coming out of the world, I needed it very clear. I remember coming to church the first few times and just like, whew, it was like those, actually, what are those old RCA commercials where the guy's in the, the chair and he turns on the sound, it's like a cassette tape and it's, you know, it blows him back. That's what it felt like the first few times I was in church and I felt the, the truth. But Corinthians is a very truthful letter. And we're going to look at the second half tonight because um, I didn't originally plan this as a two-part message, but it just kind of happened that way. Um, and it's called Those Who Preach those who preach. And um, uh, Corinthians, will start off with, uh, you know, a city, but it was also an area in Greece. It was called the Isthmus of Corinth. There's this little stretch of land at the bottom of Greece that kind of snuck out, and it was a port city. It was a great place. You know, they used to bring up boats. They tried to build a canal across it, but it took them, like, literally thousands of years for someone to finally figure out how to do it. And uh, it was a very bustling city. But because of that, it was also a very worldly city. Um, you know, we have Vegas, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, so they say, but no, it doesn't. If you go to Vegas and do something in Vegas, you bring back whatever you did in Vegas, or you don't bring back your money, I don't know, but um, maybe it stays in Vegas because you gambled your plane ticket away, I don't know. But um, this letter was written around AD 56 by the Apostle Paul, which was around, was that, 20-something years, around 20 years after Christ died and rose again and then went to heaven. So 20 years, it's not that long, you know, if Jesus died and, uh, or died and rose again in 1990-something, 1994. About today is about when this letter would have been written to the church. Um, it was a church with sin. And a lot of times we think that churches um, are really more holier than they are. And, you know, the building is not the church, it's the people. And if you're here tonight, you make up the church. Whether you know God, whether you don't know God, whether you've walked with God for your whole life, in a sense, you're kind of the church. I mean, if you don't know the Lord, you're, you're just kind of, you're kind of peeking in on it. But Really, this church had sin, and we all have sin, and none of us are perfect, but this church had some glaring issues, and I think sometimes we can have some glaring issues, especially when we first get saved or we've been walking for a while, or if we just don't know what the Bible says and we just really have our own understanding on things, um, we can really miss the point. But I think what's also cool about this letter is that it's not really just a spanking, but that it's really an encouragement, because the church, although it had sin, it had a lot of potential. And I think that that's sort of the way God sees us. He's like, he died for us when we were in our sin, but he knew that we had potential. Why? Because he made us. Because he made us. But it's a corrective letter, an instructive letter, but most of all, it's written in love. If Paul didn't care about the Corinthians, I'm sure he would have spent his time doing something else because sometimes, you know, when there's a problem, you know, if you don't love the person or love the situation or love your job or whatever it is that the problem is in, you just kind of say, I don't want anything to do with it. And let someone else handle it. But, but Paul took it to heart, and I believe you know, that this is the word of God, and every word of it is to them and to us. But last time, um, the focus really, and we're going to touch a little bit on it tonight, um, is money and the ministry. Money and the ministry. You know, 
Some false teachers and ministries are rich, and some aren't. And some true teachers and ministries, and believers too, and unbelievers, you know, this can apply this across the board, are rich and not. Some lack and some don't. But all of a sudden, when it comes into Christianity and the church, and you start talking about money, at least in our culture, there's like, right away, this like wall goes up, or, you know, the fire alarm goes off, or something, because people get burned. People get burned by money in the real world, whether it's people borrowing money, family who keep mooching, you know, loans, you know, look at the housing market, you know, the whole world is getting burned by money issues at this point. But really, in the church, it's a sad thing when money becomes the focus, when money becomes something to genuinely burn you. Um, I mean, people get offended for all sorts of reasons nowadays, and for right and for wrong, in the church and out of the church. Um, but let, let it not be money for uh, an invalid reason. You know, the love of money, it ruins friendships, it ruins witness, it ruins men and ministry. Um, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 11. I'm going to read this chunk of verses to you real quick. It says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Why? For, verse 10, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man or woman of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. I'm sure we could spend weeks in that, in that section alone, so I'll try and let it stand for itself. But really, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and people have strayed from the faith, meaning that people who came to know the Lord can get drawn away by money. And what does it say? That it pierced other people through? No, that they pierced themselves through with the love of money. That, oh, i got to have that expensive car. And they pierce themselves through. And now they're tied to the payments. Or they've sacrificed their family for a business. Or gambling. Or, you know, you name it. I mean, you can figure it out. But let's, let's pray before we go any further. Because you can't pray too much, I don't think. But, Father, we thank you for your word and that it's true. And, God, there's many issues in it that, God, we don't like or we don't like to hear. And, especially sometimes when it comes to money and, and how we're supposed to treat it and what we're supposed to do with it, Lord. But I pray that, God, you just give us wisdom. And, and God, it's all yours anyway. So help us just to, to let go and uh, just to follow you no matter what the cost. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Um, let's go on. Let's actually step back and read the past couple verses uh, that we covered last time just for a little context here. Let's go back to verse 11, and we're going to read through 14. It says in verse 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? This is Paul talking about him and the others who are ministering. He says, If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. And what he's kind of saying here, if we back up and kind of remember what was going on last time, was that the church, for some reason, wasn't too cool on, on Paul and Barnabas getting a paycheck, or too cool on Paul and Barnabas having a wife, or having these things that they even let other church leadership have. Like Peter, Peter got to take along his wife, Paul says, and, you know, we don't even have a wife. You know, why do you have these different standards for us? And they're really getting persecuted by other believers who said, hey, we're going to hold you up to an unrighteous standard. Um, you know, saying, you know, I really won't go into it. If you're that interested, you go check out the message. But they really were persecuting the leadership. And I think sometimes we can take leadership and we can put them in um, an unholy pedestal. Either we, we, we accredit everything to them and we have to be under a certain person's teaching or we have to follow a certain man's ministry, or we sit back in judgment and say, how can they have those clothes? How can they have that car? When we don't know all the details. Now, that doesn't mean that someone who is in leadership doesn't live in a fish tank. Absolutely. You know, if you're going to preach the gospel, as we're going to see later, that there needs to be an accountability. There needs to be a holiness. And part of that accountability is to the church. So it's not like these things shouldn't be looked at in one way or another. But I think sometimes, like at least in this case, they were sitting back and judging. And I think sometimes, you know, like what it says in James, where where do these arguments and wars and fights come from? It comes from our own evil desires that perhaps, you know, maybe it's our own jealousy, our own wish to have these certain things. 
and we go, well, why does this person have it and not me? But he talks about, he brings up this picture in the Old Testament that where uh, the command was, hey, you know, don't muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. You know, if you had some oxen, I don't know anyone here that has oxen. If you do, I don't know, you're probably better off. When the economy crashes, you'll have a couple steaks in hand. But, but when the oxen was, like, working all day, you know, you'd probably, you'd feed them. You wouldn't, like, cover their mouth. You'd put a little bag, I guess, underneath and feed them, just like you might with a horse that's pulling a carriage in the city. Uh, you know, at work, you know, they allow us to eat at our desk sometimes. You know, it's not really a big deal. You know, if we're working, we can eat, you know. Don't muzzle the ox. But Paul brings up the point, like, was it oxen God was really carried about when he, when he mentioned that in the Old Testament? Was that law really to say, God cares so much about the oxen, you know, make sure you feed your ox? No, it was a picture to say, hey, God cares about us. And especially God cares about those who are working and those who, you know, are working in the ministry where, hey, if we're doing the things in the ministry, that means we're not doing a job somewhere, potentially. So maybe there should be some paycheck for there because honestly, if... If all pastors everywhere didn't get paid, you know, they might not be able to do as much work. Now, does that mean as soon as you start a church or as soon as, you know, you start teaching the Bible or as soon as they give you that, you know, that little piece of paper that they printed in the office that says you're a pastor, that all of a sudden you get a paycheck? Not necessarily. Or that you need to quit your job? No, that's, that's not the point. But really that, hey, if they're doing this work, you would feed your oxen, so why wouldn't you feed, why wouldn't you take care of the pastor's needs or the leadership's needs or anyone who would do something, a service for you. But he says that those who preach should live from the gospel, that their life is based on preaching the gospel, some of their, you know, provisions should come through that. You know, being a pastor, uh, it's really my first job, but in a sense, it's my secondary job. Like, I go nine to five to work in Jersey every day, and I work on computers, and I do websites and graphics, and that pays the, the bulk of my bills. But I also serve here, and I also receive a small housing allowance here that helps my wife and I live in Middletown. And I don't, you know, I might have to get another job if I didn't have that. Um, but thankfully, um, I don't. But if I didn't, I would still be doing this job. I would still be pastoring because I'm not in it for the money. And if you're in being a pastor or ministry for money, there's a lot of other places you can work and make a lot more money. <laughs> you know. But really, it's, it's a blessing. And it's, it's something that I don't take lightly. It's something that I, I hope I don't take lightly. But let's go on. Let's read verse 15. It says, uh, we'll go through 18. Um, but Paul says, But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things, that it should be done so to me. For it would be better for me to die than anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. Uh, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. But what is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Bear with me here. I'm just trying to set a timer that I forgot to start so I don't keep you guys eight hours. <laughs> there we go. I was setting my alarm to wake up in the morning. Don't want to think about that. But verse 15, <laughs> he says, I have used none of these things. He's saying, even though this is what the scripture says, even though these other guys get a paycheck and don't have to be a tent maker and aren't like worried about their only coat that they have. I'm not demanding that of you. He says, Paul doesn't demand money. He doesn't demand ties. He doesn't demand offerings and he doesn't demand service. You know, that's a real mark of ministry. You know, if God's doing something, God's going to provide for it. And if God's not providing for it, either God's not in it or God's allowing there to be a lack so that he can show up on their behalf. Um, but always be concerned if the ministry is demanding that you serve. Oh, you've been here three minutes? Why don't you go stack some chairs? That's a nice piece of quiche. Why don't you go run the dishwasher? You know, like, if they're demanding service out of you, then really, what, what are they demanding? They're, they're demanding works from you. They're not demanding that you be blessed by the gospel. Because the point of this ministry, if anything, like the Bible says, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's not to beat them up. It's not to make a, a fleecing of the sheep. So I'm going to go just read the Bible and preach it and get a paycheck and I don't have to work and I go do whatever I want the rest of the week. No, it's so that I can be faithful to what I believe God has called me to do and that you guys can be faithful to what God has called you to do and that we can be a blessing to each other, not that we demand it. And there's always a lot of stuff that goes on around church, but it doesn't always all have to get done. But it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do anything. 
But really, if a ministry is demanding money, if a ministry is demanding anything of you other than go follow the Lord, go seek the Lord, then, there, then there's probably an issue there. You know, God bless you. You see these ministries on TV that say, we're going to shut down if you don't give. Get out your credit card and give a seed gift and, get out, and we'll send you a prayer rug and we'll pray for you. <laughs> don't give your money to that. Especially on your credit card. Especially on your credit card. God doesn't need, God doesn't need Visa to pay his bills, but the false teacher does. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> but really, just because there are needs, check this out, just because there are needs, it doesn't mean you have to meet them. There are tons of needs in this church, and there are tons of needs in the world and in the body, you know, but it doesn't mean that you're the one that has to meet them. I mean, you should consider it. When you see the need, a lot of times it's God saying, hey, there's a need. I'm kind of showing you so that you can do it, so that you can do it for me, so that you can learn and grow and bless the body through it. But it doesn't mean you have to. But on the other side, on the flip side of that, just because you don't see the needs doesn't mean you shouldn't seek to meet them. Just because you walk in here on a Sunday or a Wednesday and everything looks like it's taken care of, because for the most part it is, but maybe you didn't know about connection or maybe you didn't know about um, other outreaches or other things going on, doesn't mean that nothing needs to be done. doesn't mean that you shouldn't get involved or can't get involved. In fact, I think as we grow and as we walk with the Lord and um, you know, as you've been walking with the Lord a little while and you're building up your faith, it's healthy to get involved. It's healthy to serve. And in fact, if you don't see a need, look around, ask. Say, hey, can I help with anything? What's the, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? They say, no. Or they say, yes. You know, in the old days, we had to stack chairs all the time. So that was where that joke came from. You know, hey, you know, you have a servant's heart. Go stack some chairs. But here you can come in and sit down and get up and have some quiche and it'll be okay. So. But sincerely, look for needs to meet them. Look for needs. Jesus did. If Jesus never came down off his throne and never looked at earth and our problems, you know, he'd probably still be up there, you know. But he didn't. You know, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Um, it's actually on our tithe envelopes, but it says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God doesn't want to demand you do anything for him. That's not a relationship. God doesn't want you to be burdened by things. You know, he told the priests to wear linen so that they wouldn't sweat, so that while they worked, they weren't, like, laboring. They weren't, you know, being overworked in a sweatshop. Um, you know, I read the other day that uh, someone found a label in their clothes that was like a help message, like, help us, they're overworking us, etc. And now the clothing company is like, oh, we'll kind of look into it, you know. It's a very vague answer. Um, but that's not the way God wants it to be for you. He wants you to serve. He wants you to walk with him. It's healthy. He created these things, these good works for us to walk in. But he doesn't want us to do it. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. If you don't want to come to service, don't come. If you don't want to raise your hands in worship, don't. You don't have to. But I encourage you, if you don't feel like you want to, if you don't feel like you want to come to service, you don't feel like you want to get involved, try it. Try raising your hands. Try coming early. Try doing any of these things and see if God wouldn't bless you for stepping out, especially when you don't want to do it. Because really, if we're all honest, none of us want to do anything. We all want to sit back on a cruise ship or on the couch. And, you know, like in Wally, we're all like floating around and their bones kind of wither away and they just drink milkshakes all day. You know, that's really, that's all of us. We invent things because we're lazy and we don't want to do things. You know, we invented the car because the horse wasn't fast enough. You know? I don't know. What blows me away, I wish we could go back to horses because you buy one horse and you buy a second horse, that's it. They mate, you have horses for your life. You buy one car, three years later you buy another car. You know, it's like... Anyway. But Paul says it's better to die. Paul says it's better to die. Let's look at that, 15. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me, for it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. He's saying, it's better for me to die than to somehow taint the gospel or taint the ministry with some, some need. Like, Paul's like, I need new shoes, but in eternity, when he's in eternity, you know, it, it just doesn't matter. You know, a true minister is not concerned about a paycheck, but he's concerned about the health of his people. You know, a true minister is willing to work for no paycheck, willing to work long hours, willing to sacrifice things to counsel people, to meet with people, to do Bible studies, to clean up the church, to make sure that, that the people are doing okay. Because that's his concern, because that's what a, a shepherd's heart is. And if that's the calling that the Lord has given him, then that's what he should be. But Jesus says this in John 10, 12 and 13. He says, But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, 
One who does not own sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. He's saying sometimes in leadership there's people who are shepherds and there's people who are hirelings. There are people who are there for the Lord and there's people who are there who are to punch a time clock. And the problem with that is that, well, it's one thing in work, one thing if you work at McDonald's, but it's another thing when people's salvation, people's souls, people's hearts and minds and families and lives are at the stake, where if someone comes into the church, a wolf, someone who comes in who just wants to rip the people off, who wants to bring in a false doctrine or wants to bring in other things or wants to go into some, you know, like the Bible talks about uh, some widow's house or some lady's house and, and rip them off for other nefarious purposes, that the pastor needs to look out for those things. The pastor needs to look out for division, look out for just the health of the people in the flock. Because if he doesn't, wolves come in, people get ripped off. People get hurt. You know, things happen, things blow up. I mean, even without these things, enough stuff goes on in each of our lives where there's plenty to worry about. But when those things do come into our lives, you know, a hireling flees. A hireling says, that wolf's coming. (laughs) That paycheck isn't big enough to take a bite from a wolf. I'm getting out of here. I can get a job somewhere else. And sadly, I think that a large state of our church in general, I wouldn't necessarily just say our church, but the church in general, is about a paycheck. There's a hiring committee. People go through seminary just to take pastor as a job. Now, seminary is okay. Hiring a pastor is okay. Having a board to, to do all the things I would say is okay. I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't do it personally. I think Calvary subscribes to a more biblical model, but I wouldn't say that it's necessarily sinful. But I think that it's kind of bred this culture. And I've been reading this book called The Dangerous Calling, and it's about a pastor now who ministers to other pastors, a pastor who taught at seminary for very, for very many years, and he sees that there is this very this skew in it to kind of like, oh, you're going to be a firefighter, you're going to be a pastor, you're going to be an astronaut. And the Bible is very clear that those who are in ministry, it's not a calling that they can take into themselves. It's something that God has to call, because if we take it on ourselves, or even if God has called us into it, and we're not doing it for the Lord, or we get sidetracked, we become hirelings, and we say, oh, there's problems, I'm out of here, you know? But the problem with that is that sometimes we don't know that they're a hireling until they fled. Until an explosion happens. Fight goes on in church. Or finances are hard and well, I'm out of here. You know? But that's all the more reason why we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. And not follow the man, but follow the man. And Because Jesus isn't going to fall and get distracted. He didn't. But men do. Men do. We need to look up to those who are in spiritual leadership and authority. We need to respect them and honor them and care for their needs sometimes, just as they would care for our needs. But we're not to look up to them as our Savior, as our salvation. They'll let you down. I know I let my own family down. I let my friends down. How much more so would, you know, would I let you guys down? I'm sure you guys could write down a thousand reasons, probably even this message tonight. But, <laughs> but seriously... You know, the ministry is not about the man. It's about Jesus. And another part of this book is that, you know, sometimes we have this culture where the pastor is so separated where it's unhealthy, where the pastor has to live this. He doesn't have to, but they do. And they live this fake life where they're not open and they're not real. And they're disconnected. And it just breeds this whole culture of disconnection. You know, Tony, myself, and, and other guys in ministry, anyone who's in ministry, need it just as much as you. Like when we had the family meeting on Sunday, I was glad that we had the same chairs up here because... We're in the same seats as you guys are. You know, we're just, we're in fact more accountable to God, but we all go to the same church. You're the church. We're the church. We're all the church. But verse 16, and it says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For if necessity is laid upon me, yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. You know, the real necessity of preaching is the gospel, not money. A true uh, preacher's deepest desire is is to preach the gospel. You know, my deepest desire, well, I think, you know, the heart is wicked and deceptive, so, you know, God will say, no, it's not one day, maybe. But in all honesty, you know, hopefully my true desire and real teacher's desire is that the gospel would go forth, that what is said and what is taught of the Bible would be clear, and that it wouldn't just be clear so that we get a pat on the back, but it would be clear so that you guys can understand it, hopefully better than we do, and live it out, and live it out. Because if, if a pastor or someone shares the word of God with you, and it doesn't affect you. It doesn't change you. Or you walk away going, I have no idea what he just said about the Bible. What good is it? It was a waste of your hour. It was a waste of my hour. And oh boy, it was a waste of God's time. 
God's like, I could have done a lot more in all those people's lives, but, you know. But that's why Paul says, woe is me. Woe is me if he doesn't preach the gospel. That preaching the gospel was his primary concern. And that too, I think, in most good teachings, that the gospel is always going to be a primary element of it. I mean, the whole message may not ever mention the cross or may not ever mention, you know, anything like that. It may just be totally about, you know, all the old laws in the Old Testament. But the gospel should still be woven in there. The heart of it should still be the gospel. Um, is anyone in the cafe? I saw yeah, please, sorry. Thank you. That's my bad. But Jeremiah, it makes me think of Jeremiah, where he said, it burned in his bones we didn't speak of God. Jeremiah 20, verse 9. I didn't give it to you guys in the back. It says, Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. Jeremiah says, I didn't want to talk about God for a while. I just want to say, forget it. I don't want to be this prophet anymore. I don't want to do this God thing. It's just, it's not working out. It's hard. People aren't listening. It's, ugh. But he said it burned in his bones, that it was inside of him like a flame coming out. And I'm sure you guys can attest the same thing, that, you know, if you decide to say, oh, I'm not going to share with anybody for a while, or I'm not going to, thank you very much, Ken. I'm not going to share with anybody for a while. You know, I'm just not going to talk about God. I'm just going to go to church, do my thing, hang out, just go about my life and be a Christian, but not talk about God and, and talk about his word. It begins to burn inside. It's like heartburn. You know, you got to do something about it. You got to let it out. You got to tell people. And I think that that, you know, that's a confirmation of salvation in a way. But I think it could also be a confirmation of your calling. You know, if you feel, if you like share with people and then you try and not share with people and you just like have to share with people or you always have desire to, you might be an evangelist. You know, like when people, like when I get into spiritual conversations with people, it's not usually like an evangelistic conversation. It's usually like, what does the Bible say? And, and uh, you know, like a, a friend and I at work were like emailing back and forth about something today and it, revelation and stuff came up because we were talking about, you know, this guy trying to go to another planet. And naturally coming out of me is like talking about revelation. It's not, you're a sinner, you know, this is, let's go through the Ten Commandments, bro. You know, it was really just like, just what comes out of me, the Bible. And I think that in some small way, that might be a confirmation that God is hopefully gifts me with teaching. I mean, you might disagree, but I think hopefully there's some iota of truth to that. But really, uh, for anything in life, but especially for ministry, especially for serving the Lord, if you can do anything else with your life and be okay with that before the Lord, do it. You know, like, I'm a computer guy. I can sit at a computer all day, put on headphones, program a website, end of the day, go home. That's fine. You know, that's work. It's, it's, it's a good job. It's a, you know, it's a great job. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, I don't really have to do it. You know, I could go do something else. I tried doing other stuff for a while. I did construction for a week when I was out of work, and oh, boy. <laughs> Hopefully never again, because, wow, I give credit for the guys who work, actually work for a living. My hand, people make fun of my hands because they're soft. I'm like, I, they're computer hands. What do you expect? <laughs> but really, if some guy wasn't mining ore somewhere, I wouldn't have a computer to work on. But, re- but really, you know, if you can't do anything greater spiritually, and you can't think of a better life in Christ, that might be a sign of your calling. You know, the Bible says that it's a good thing to desire to be in ministry, but to be careful, because not many are called to it. Not many are called to it. Like, I desired it. I didn't, I didn't had no idea what I was getting into. You know, it's way different than I thought it would be. It's better, but it's a lot, you know, it's a lot more responsibility than I thought it was going to be. But really, I couldn't imagine anything else. And, you know, for a while there, I didn't know what the Lord's plans were going to be for my life. You know, I still don't. You know, I only know the next step. But really, it's like, I couldn't think of anything better to do. If, I, if I'm poor the rest of my life, and my wife will attest to this too. She said she's on board. She's probably more on board than I am. But, and I get to serve God for the rest of my life, that's fantastic. I get no greater joy than be able to share the word with you guys or share the word with my family or just whatever, just being involved in ministry. It was a pleasure just serving back in the booth for all those years. But if you can't do anything else and it's not your calling, do it. Don't force yourself into ministry. Seek God. Seek God. You know, but he says, verse 18, without charge, you know, the gospel is the free gift. If God gives it away for free, why should we charge it? You know, why should I say $20 at the door to hear this message? You know, people do that. You know, got to buy my book if you want the inside track. No, I don't. I got to read the Bible. That's the inside track on the Bible is the Bible. Your book might be good, but it's not necessary. But Paul says he doesn't want to abuse his authority. That his concern here is that he has this authority, this spiritual authority, 
and he does not want to abuse it. And that's huge. Because how important it is that we not abuse that authority. Because how many people get burned by people who do who do have the who don't have the authority, excuse me, of what they're doing. You know, maybe it's cops who go over the line. Maybe it's judges who make rulings that aren't a judge's decision, legislating from the bench. Dictators, you know, telling you like North Korea what kind of haircut you should have. And the guy's got like the worst haircut in the world. <laughs> or believers who condemn, who take the role of God. Now, we're supposed to judge and rightly divide and, and discern and everything, but not to condemn. That's God's decision. Pastors and leaders who fleece the sheep for their own good. You know, those guys who flaunt all their money and flaunt their suits and have jets and all these things. And not that it's wrong to have nice clothes or nice things. You know, if God provides them for you, then fantastic. God has blessed you. But I think nine times out of ten, it's, it's fleecing. Or how many people get burned by believers in churches and say, oh, I know God, or I love God, but I don't like his people. Well, really, that makes you a liar, because God says if you love God, you love his people. But they've probably been burned along somewhat, burned along the way some way. You know, don't burn, bless. You know, a minister's true reward is that his people fall in love with Jesus. It's not the paycheck. Paycheck's great. It's a blessing to, you know, get paid every month to be able to pay some bills with it. And, like, thank you, Lord, like, you're obviously providing for this. But my, that's not my real reward. My real reward is seeing like my family walking the Lord. My real reward is seeing like the young people serve, the older people serve, seeing you guys regularly, hearing about what's going on in your lives. And I have so little to do with it. You know, I'm just another guy like you guys are who come to this church and do their thing. But it's such a blessing. It's like that's what it should be. And I'm sure it's the same in your lives too. When you see your friends come to know the Lord, when you see your family grow, it's the same thing. You know, there should be really no difference up here than down there. You know, 3 John 1.4, this is John talking about his people, most likely the church in Ephesus, I believe. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And you know, I would guarantee that the people that have influenced your life spiritually for good in your, in your life, if you haven't spoken to them for a while, or, or if you have, if they were to hear about what the Lord is doing in your life and what the, the things that the Lord has brought you through, I bet you they would be overjoyed. I bet you they would be overjoyed. But let's go on. Let's read 19 through 23 here. After I grab a sip. Verse 19 says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. And to those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, clarifying here, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. You know, verse 19, you know, doulos or a doulo, it means a servant, a slave by choice. You've all heard it. You know, you would serve for a certain amount of years in your master's house, maybe paying off a debt, and then at the end of the time, maybe you had kids in the house, maybe you're, you, know, you had your family in the house, maybe your master is a good master, you'd say, you know what, my master takes care of me, it's a decent job, he's a good master, he gives me time off, he takes care of my family, he's an honest guy, I don't need to go get a job, I can let my career slide and I'll just go be this guy's servant for the rest of my life, even though my debt's paid off, I'm fine with that. And you tell that your master, he'd take you outside, stick your ear to the door and jam it all through it, you know, he'd put plugs in your ear basically. And... That would say that you're this guy's doulos, that you're no longer just a slave because you had to, because you spent too much money at the mall, but that you're a slave because your master's good and you enjoy serving him and you think that your life is worthy of serving him. And Paul calls himself a doulos, that his life is worthy of serving God by choice. Again, a cheerful giver. giver. Not, oh, I'm going to serve God because he rescued me from the flames of hell and eternal damnation. I got to go clean the church. Do you know Jesus loves you? He loves me. No. <laughs> we all do that. We all feel that. I know it. If I feel it, you guys, well, if I feel it, it doesn't mean you feel it. But <laughs> if you feel it, I probably feel it. But really, we get to. We get to. I tell you, coming and serving at youth group on Friday nights for the rest of my life would be better than going out and getting drunk for the rest of my life with my friends. Absolutely. And I don't, I don't go out and do that. Before I had the Lord, I went out and did that. And that's why I came to the Lord, because it was empty. But he says, in the, light, you know, in the light of conscience, chapter 8 talked about the conscience, that 
you know, we don't want to make someone else stumble. Like we may have the freedom to eat meat, but if we're around someone who has a problem with it, maybe we'll just get the salad or, you know, all sorts of things like that, you know, but it was more towards idolatry today. It's kind of a little different, but verse chapter eight talked a lot about that. And that's kind of what he's talking about here. You know, the goal is winning more people to Jesus by becoming like them, not by putting walls up. And what he means by becoming like them, all things to all people, is not to go out and, you know, you want to go minister to the people getting high in Colorado. doesn't mean you're going to go out and smoke a joint and minister to them. It just means you maybe go out and hang out with them and talk to them. Because he says, as not under the law, but under the law towards God. Like, I'm, I'm not going to act like I'm under the law. Like, I have the freedom to do it, but I'm going to not disobey God. I'm not going to sin in what I do to relate to you. I'm going to do everything I can to relate to you, but I'm not going to sin in it. Like having a conversation with some friends at work, you know, I'll talk about anything pretty much. Like, you know, I'll talk about technology. I'll talk about movies. I'll talk about music. I'll talk about cars. I'll talk about whatever that they want to talk about. You know, I'll become all things to all men. Then may have an opportunity to just slip a little something in there. Like thankfully happened today, which hasn't happened in a while. It was like, that's it. You know, because what's more important that, you know, I'd never talk about movies again because there's bad stuff in movies. No, we all enjoy movies. But that this, these people come to know Jesus. And if, come, if they come to know Jesus through me talking about anything else, fantastic. Become all, all things to all people. But again, you don't want to relate. You know, I remember there was this uh, ministry team coming around a few years ago, and I'm not going to say their name um, because it just shouldn't. But it came around, and they were reaching all these young people. And I remember a friend and I went to go meet with them, and we met with them. They seemed like God was doing such a good work in this guy's heart. He had saved him out of the world. He was very famous in the world. And it seemed like God was doing a great thing in him. I'm sure God is and was. But, um, you know, definitely he had the Holy Spirit and was definitely walking with the Lord. And they were reaching the kids. And we did like an outreach with our youth group at the time with them. But recently, this person has come out with uh, music. And I was like, oh, you know, I wasn't really totally into it. But, you know, let me go buy the album just to support them. Because they're, you know... They were on, like, secular tours and all these things. Um, but I just didn't have a piece about it. So I Googled the lyrics, and I found that in this music, which was very, like, gospel in its message, was very Jesus in its message, were the F-bomb, were other curses, talking about Jesus. Not just, like, let me just throw it in a song, but, like, you fill in the blanks. And I was like, oh, wow. And I knew the guy on Twitter, and I... You know, messaged him, was like, hey, bro, you know, not that he would really remember me from a hole in the wall, but uh, it was like, you know, we met a few years ago, and I think it was awesome what you guys are doing, but I just checked out your CD, and I'm like, what's up with that? You know, you know, Ephesians 4.29 says, like, no uh, unholy communication come out of your mouth, but except what is good for edifying for the hearer. And it's like, well, he's like, well, there's kids out there shooting themselves, and you're worried about cursing, I'm trying to relate to them. And I'm like, yeah, I am worried about kids, I'm involved in youth group. I'm worried about them. I remember coming out and, you know, wanting to kill myself, and I don't want them to do that. But there's other ways to relate. There's holy ways to relate to people that are holy. You know, I don't, I don't think Jesus would be dropping the F-bomb. You know, he's going to drop a bomb when he comes back. People are going to be dropping the F-bomb when he comes back. But, but that's not the way. But seriously, a lot of times we compromise. We compromise in an effort to be relevant, and it really takes away the power. It takes away the power. You know, and again, it's like not drinking. Like I remember, like I don't drink, and if you drink, that's fine. I encourage you don't get drunk and think about not drinking, just because all the effects and all that money you save and everything. But I don't drink. It's just something I feel like the Lord has called me not to do, and I'm fine with that. Great, you know. But I remember when I first got saved, I go out to a restaurant, and and the you know I first get saved, and I'm very like sensitive to it. And people are like, you know, we have these beers on tap, and I'd be like, no, I don't drink, you know, because it was like I just came out of being a drunk you know, for all these years. And it's like, I don't want anything to do with it anymore. And that's fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But as I grew and matured a little bit and a friend gave me some advice, he's like, I don't really say that. He just says, no, thanks. And at first I was like, what? Well, is that going to make them think that you drink? Well, no. Are you drinking? No, he just said, no, thanks. They offered you something. You said no. And I think what it does is then, you know, if they continue to offer or they find out like, well, why not? It opens up this door for communication to say, well, I used to drink. My life was ruined. Jesus saved my life, and now I don't even feel the need to because God is much better than all that. The high I get off of God is way better than anything else, and it's free. But really, it opens a door. 
And it doesn't put up this wall like, oh, I don't, I don't, Christians don't drink, Christians don't do that. And, oh, oh. Yeah, we don't, but we don't need to make a wall about it. It's like, that's self-righteousness, self-righteousness. But really, the goal of any believer's walk is to lead others to faith in Jesus. The, the reason why you're still on earth, well, it's because Jesus hasn't come back, but the reason Jesus hasn't come back yet is because he wants more people to get saved. So if we're still here and we're stuck here, let's be about our Father's business so we can get out of here, <laughs> you know? That's kind of like a, that's like punching the clock, isn't it? But, you know. <laughs> Come on, I want to go home. Finish that TPS report. You know. <laughs> you know, it should be to bring unbelievers to salvation and believers through sanctification and glory. So if we know people who aren't believers, the goal is to introduce them to Jesus. And if you know people who know Jesus, is to help them walk with him as they help us. But John fifteen thirteen, Jesus said, Love this verse. It says, greater love has no one than this. You know, you think you love someone? Then lay down one's life for his friends. You think you love your family? Jump in front of that bus. You know, spiritually, physically. That's love. And that's what Jesus did. He went to the cross for us. You know, he jumped in front of God's judgment for us. But he says, verse 23, this I do for the gospel's sake. You know, the reason why Paul doesn't demand a paycheck, the reason why Paul went around and was beaten and mocked and shared the gospel and went back and did it again the next day is, well, one, he loved God and he knew God loved him, but two, it's for the gospel's sake. And that is the gospel, that God loves you and God would die for you. And that's the reason why Paul would give his life for it. But what this kind of speaks to me, I think, and I hope to us, is that the gospel will cost you something. The gospel will cost you something you will lose something. And usually it's not money. It's your life. Sometimes it's money. You know, I remember the Lord telling me years ago um, that I would never make more than a certain dollar amount. And that's been the case. As I've sought him, and I go, okay. But you know what? My bills have gone up. But he's met them. He's met them as I followed him. Because in order to make more money than I do now, and I make, I make a good amount of money, I make an average amount of money, but in order to make more, I'd have to start sacrificing holy things. I'd have to start, you know, maybe go work in the city. Not that it's wrong to do there, but for me, I wouldn't have time with my family. I wouldn't be able to do ministry. Something else would have to go in my life to do that. And that's fine, you know. God takes care of my needs. But really, something has to, has to go. And usually, money is just like the tiniest one of them, you know. It's the biggest one in our hearts sometimes. Like, I'd rather go to Africa for you, God, and eat bugs for two weeks than, you know, go give my money every week, even though the trip might cost more. You know, but really, it's your life. You know, it cost Jesus His life, and I was listening to his song today, and it was like so awesome. But he was talking about, you know, I'd be a liar if I said I wasn't in love with your suffering. And I think sometimes we try to ignore the suffering of God, but we need to, in a sense, fall in love with it. We need to know God through His sufferings. And if He suffered for us, why shouldn't we suffer for Him? Isn't it our reasonable service? But he says more, I think, the way Paul ties it back is, is good. He says, now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. That not only does it say that Paul's in the same boat that we are, and we're in the same boat as each other, and the people down the street, and Greg Laurie and Billy Graham, except I'm sure Greg Laurie's and Billy Graham's boat is much nicer in heaven that's, than mine, at least. Um, but really, that he's a partaker of it with them. That part of this was, he's partaking in the gospel. Paul needs the gospel just as much as these people need the gospel, just as much as I do, just as much as you do. So he doesn't want anything to get in the way of any of that, whether that's them coming to the gospel or his receiving the gospel. Because the minute we start exchanging the holy things for unholy things, we start demanding things that God hasn't asked for, is when we start worshiping another God, when we start going astray, when we say, oh, I need this money, or the ministry needs to do this, and we get away from God's plan. And it's like you look at all these churches, and there are these beautiful buildings with like stained glass and stone, but they're dead inside. Or like on diners, drive-ins, and dives, it was like a restaurant now. Why? Because some point along the line, the building or money or other needs became more important than having that relationship with God. And so now on the outside, it says church still. There's a pastor still. There's people in that church still, but it's dead. It's dead. It has no power with it anymore. You know, I read in the devotional this morning, um, John Corson about, you know, that story about... Uh, the guy in the Old Testament, and he's got the axe, and he's building stuff with it, and the axe head comes off. And he's like, the axe head was the power. It was the power of doing the work in the ministry. And that's like when the Holy Spirit, like when we get off track, or, you know, we're sinning or whatever, and the power comes out of our life, we're just like hitting stuff with a wooden stick. And it's like, it just happens solely sometimes. 
But he says partaker. And this word, I'm not going to pretend to pronounce it because I don't know Greek, but it says participant with others in anything. It's a joint partner. And that makes me think of communion. You know, how sweet it is to commune with the Lord and with each other. Um, But again, Paul is not above those he ministers to. He needs the gospel just as much as they do, like we talked about. But, But we're joint partners in the gospel, you and I. We all need it the same. And we all should serve it the same way as well. And the way that plays out in our life may not look the same, though. You know, Romans 10, 14 and 15 says, How then shall they call on him who they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. You know, he's like, how are people going to hear the gospel if no one preaches the gospel? You know, if someone wasn't up here going through the Bible with you guys, you know, we'd all just be sitting here. But thankfully, we're going through the Bible or on other days or on the radio or wherever you get, you know, your teaching from. But really, how would they be up there if people weren't tithing, people weren't giving, if people weren't serving, if people weren't serving in the back, if people weren't serving in the worship team, you know, if people weren't making quiche, you know, this, God bless you, this thing wouldn't be happening, you know. If none of you were here, I would just be here. It would be silly. <laughs> if none of you were here, I'd probably still be here anyway. And be like, what did I do wrong? But, but really, missionaries being sent, like, uh, I'll put Nick on the spot, but last Sunday he shared about, you know, getting involved in his ministry and being called to go up to uh, Maine and share the gospel with students. But it's like, He's got to go up there. He's going to be working full-time. Maybe he'll get a little job on the side. Maybe, but you know how things are and how expensive things are. You know, if he's being sent, God's going to provide for him. But who's going to, God going to provide it through? People who have jobs. People who go to church, whose ministry it is to support the church. Whose ministry it is to support missionaries. Um, and not that that's necessary. I mean, you know, missionaries can go without money. But I think how much better it is. How much better it is if we can put our hands to the plow, so to speak, in so many different areas. You know, you know, Tony shot up in uh, Sullivan County, you know, this outreach in the summer that we're doing connection. It's like if we all put our hands to it. You know, God can do God can do great things regardless. But how much better is it is it if we're involved in it? Ephesians four says in 11 to 13 says he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. You know, the goal of the corporate church leadership is to equip the saints, like we talked about, for the work of the ministry, but it's also to strengthen the church and through the strengthening of the church and the equipping to reach the lost. You know, if, if you're not under good teaching, if, you're not, if any of us aren't under good teaching, we're all going to get wacky. We're all going to get weird. We're going to have pet doctrines. We're going to think strange things. It's just naturally what happens, you know. You eat like a bad mushroom, and you're going to die, or you're going to have hallucinations. In the same way, if you're not eating healthy scripture, you're going to... Really? I mean, turn on the TV and tell me if you don't believe me then. But really, it's not so that we can sit in here and have a country club, although it is nice and it is country club-like in here, but that other people might come to know the Lord and that we might grow in the Lord when we come here. But we're all the church. We're all the ministry. We're all the body. And Jesus is the head. You know, I think sometimes we think that church is a spectator sport, that you just come here to watch everything that's going on. But you can. That's part of the ministry, but everyone is the ministry. If you're a believer, you're the ministry. And if you're not a believer, you're the one who needs the most ministry. But let's go on. We'll read the last few verses here for my first closing. Verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they who do it to obtain a perishable crown, now they do it, excuse me, to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified." But he says in verse 24, he says, run in such a way that you may obtain it. Run in such a way that, you know, our lives, we're running in a way. Yeah, we're saved and it's a free gift, but that we're running in a way that we may obtain it. That Paul says, I might attain unto the resurrection. Not that he's earned it, but that when he gets there, he's got, he's got all his parts, you know? 
that he hasn't lost a leg along the way, that he hasn't lost a friend along the way. But that speaks to me of holiness. You know, salvation is guaranteed for the believer. You know, we're guaranteed eternal righteousness through Christ, but we're not guaranteed the same rewards when we get to heaven. Just like the stewards, you know, some were faithful with a little, some were faithful with much, and because of that, some had rewards and some had less and some didn't. And I think that that's something that we overlook sometimes. And not to, to look for rewards, like to look for a paycheck, that can be some of our motivation. You know, absolutely. You know, I want to go to heaven and like, wow, look at all the cool stuff God has for me. Like a kid at Christmas. This is fantastic. If God's got it for me, God's got it for me. But not to make that your prime goal, because then you're not going to be doing stuff in love and you're going to miss the point. But that to run in such a way that when we get there, we're not like, you know, pastors have said that we're not just knocking the flames off our backside. That we're not like reeking of, you know, hellish smoke because we spent most of our lives doing hellish things. We need to be holy. You know, God requires holy living. And the Christian life requires righteous living. You know, it is a requirement. Not for salvation, but it should be expected that as believers, there is some measure of holiness in our lives. And I don't think it's unreasonable to expect that, you know. But we all, you know, we all fall short. We all fall short, and there's grace for that. But we need to get up and keep going and not use that as an excuse to live in unholiness. You know, he says this word here, that they're temperate in all things. And again, it's another Greek word I won't try and say. But it means to be self-controlled or, or continent. To exhibit self-government, conduct uh, oneself temperately. And a figure drawn from athletes in preparing themselves for gains for games, abstain from unwholesome food, wine, and sexual indulgence. That, you know, that's what I love about, it. I think it was the Olympics, and even, you know, uh, the World Cup, there's all these ads for, like, McDonald's. And it's like, I know the athletes probably aren't going there. You know, at least not right before, you know, the World Cup match. You know, the people watching are, yeah, this is awesome, I can do that too. <laughs> but really, you know, or too, like, with all these scandals with drugs and, and sports use where, you know, they're going out and they're disqualifying themselves because they've used performance-enhancing performance drugs. No, you've used horse tranquilizer or horse, you know, it's like, we put such a spin on everything these days. But really, like, they disqualify themselves. They lose trophies, they lose merit, the sport loses merit. You know, Leviticus 11.45 says, For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt. I love how this is the preface to what we're going to read. I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt or out of sin to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. God doesn't just say, hey guys, be holy, just do it, because I'm God. He says, I'm your God. I brought you out of Egypt. I want to be your God, and because of that, be holy. It's good for you. It's good for us. You know that there's this relationship. It's not rules without relationship. You know, because reality, there's salvation. We're not saved. We receive salvation from Jesus. There's sanctification, that process of being made like God, you know, from salvation until we die or we're brought home, where we're made more like God. And, you know, however long you live, that's however long you need. And, you know, maybe we need more than that. But God's gracious. And then there's glorification when we have our new body where we get to live with God forever and we're free of sin and death. So salvation, sanctification, glorification. But really, I think we need, in a way, to enter the witness protection program. You know, we were once very sinful criminals. We had very sinful lives. And then we got caught by Jesus. And he said, hey, go and sin no more. And we went with him. But we don't enter the witness protection program. We don't cut off our old ties that would drag us back down. That doesn't mean that you don't talk to old friends. Some old friends from my past have contacted me lately, and it's been a blessing to be able to talk with them and find out how they're doing and share with them and stuff. Um, but really, we need to protect our witness. That those things that might hold us back, that mob tie that might bring us back just to kill us, we need to get rid of that. We need to change our name. And who better to give us a new name than Jesus? You know, we're all new creations in Christ Jesus. But protect your witness. Protect what he has done in our lives, you know? Because we all are the ministry. We all are preachers. It's just our pulpits that vary. You know, Pastor Tony Schott's pulpit is like, you should put like the USS Enterprise on it. It's gigantic. <laughs> it's great because I can teach Corinthians up there and I'm not scared at all because I can run out the back door. It takes people five minutes to get around it. It's true. But he says that these guys, these athletes, they run for a perishable crown. That they run for, you know, like I've heard it said, like the Heisman Trophy. Who knows who, ran, who won the Heisman Trophy eight years ago? Who knows what the Heisman Trophy even is? You know, I know what it is, but I don't even like football. But like the Stanley Cup, like the Kings won this year. 
And I was talking with a, a friend who's a Rangers fan. I was like, yeah, but their names aren't on the cup, you know? Second place doesn't count anymore. I mean, it does kind of now if you're a Ranger fan, but it won't 10 years from now. I mean, if that's the closest you're going to get, take it. I don't even like hockey that much anymore. But I grew up in Jersey, so I kind of have to. But really, they, they compete for a perishable crown that we won't even remember, that most people don't even know about. But we compete for something far greater, an imperishable crown, something that Jesus himself is going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into your father's rest. And he's going to give you this crown, and you're going to go, wow. And you're going to cast it back, and he says, no, 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 you're going to, you know, back and forth for a million years. You know. But seriously, like for all eternity, you're going to have this crown and go, yeah, God did this in my life. God brought me here. That's right. Jesus did this. Wow. But we run around and we're worried about how much bling we have or how big the tires are in our car when these crowns perish. You know, I hit a curb the other day when I was in an unfamiliar parking lot in the middle of like really rich part of New Jersey. So I was so scared of hitting like all the BMWs. And I got out and I'm like, oh no, did I pop my tire? And it wasn't popped. But it's like, I was that worried about my tire. Um, you know, and how much more worried should we about other things? But, you know, we talked about last time, you know, which has more effect or effect on your life, spiritual things or physical? And Paul says, then, then why do we care so much about money? Why do we care so much about the physical things when they're the least important? You know, again, uh, winning at a competition requires qualifying. You know, before these races, they have all these qualifying rounds, figure what place you're going to be in, you know. You have preseason, you know, then you have regular season, and then you have all the playoffs just to get to the final one. And it's all about qualifying to get there. You know, the whole season... The hockey leads up to the Stanley Cup. All those World Cup games and, and awesomeness leads up to one final game. You know, but it requires qualifying. It requires winning. It requires winning these little battles along the way. But it's about being the best. You know, talent, skill, practice, and dedication. And the same thing preaching, whether it's in the pulpit or whether it's at work or whether it's to our family, requires qualification. And what's that qualification? Holy living. Holy living. Sometimes I keep my mouth shut. Because I know that my life isn't as holy as it should be. And sometimes God says, preach it anyway. That's called grace. And sometimes he says, yeah, just hold back and love them. And then when you have an opportunity, share. But it requires qualification. And the main qualification is Jesus. Do we know Jesus? I remember before I got saved, and I wasn't saved yet, but I was reading the Bible, and God was convicting me, and I was still doing my thing. And I'm still like out there sinning with people. And I'm like, you're going to go to hell because the Bible says so, because I was reading about it, and it was true. But I was going to the same place. They were like, you're doing the same thing I am, you know. Why should I believe you? And I don't blame them for not believing me. You know, my life was so bad. It's like, why would you believe that? You know, to quote the great philosopher, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, he says, (laughs) can you smell what I'm about to say? But he says, I'm not saying he's preaching the gospel, but listen to what he says. He says, success at anything will always come down to this, focus and effort, and we control both. And I think, you know, that's a very physical statement because he's a very physical guy. Obviously, it requires the Holy Spirit, but if we never obey the Holy Spirit and we never put any effort into following him or dying to ourselves or coming to church or serving God or witnessing, then we'll never become a great evangelist. You know, we'll never become a great preacher if we never read the Bible or we never study the Bible or we never... Share the Bible. And he also says this, success isn't always about greatness, it's about consistency. Consistent hard work gains success. Greatness will come. Look at this guy, he's a monster. And I go, I would like to work out, but seeing you, I'm never going to look like that, so what's the point? (laughs) I'm going to go have a milkshake. (laughs) But really, I think we can take a lot away from what he says here. This guy has become very successful in in his life, and I'm not saying that his life is a moral success or anything like that, or that I would even encourage you to watch some of the movies he's in. But I think what he says here is pretty wise, and I think it, you know, there's wisdom in all areas of life sometimes. That if, if, if consistency is important here in winning a, a perishable crown, how much more is consistency important in winning an imperishable crown? If we're not consistent in our walk with God, we're going to blow rewards. Like You may work your whole life to build up this great thing, and then you do one giant sin, and it can all be blown. Like Look at these pastors who fall. You know, it's like you worked your whole... I feel so bad for them. You know, I can relate in certain ways, but it's like, you've worked your whole life for this. It's like, what are you going to do? You know, what's, you're an old man now, and it's like, where are you going to work? You know, what's going to put on your resume? I was a pastor for 30 years of a church, and then I'm not anymore? Well, why? To get a job at McDonald's somewhere. You know, it's like, I feel for him. It's like, it's heartbreaking. 
And not only, I mean, heartbreaking just for them on a personal level, not to mention their family and the people that have to go through that. Or the, the witness of it. But really, what disqualifies a man or ministry? Is it being poor? Sometimes we think so. Sometimes we go, look at the John the Baptist guy who's got ratty shoes and, you know, he's eating McDonald's. And we go, that guy can't speak the truth. But we look at the guy with the flashy clothes and the rings and we say, that guy must have the truth. You know, he's got a best-selling book out. He must be right about heaven and that God didn't create hell and hell's just a figment of our imagination. No. That's not what the Bible says. It's unholy living. Unholy living. You know, I'm sure we could all name Christian leaders, musicians, ministries, maybe even friends or family members, maybe even ourselves or points in time in our lives where we have either at one time or another disqualified ourselves from the ministry or disqualified the message we preach. Hey, man, you shouldn't drink, bro. It's bad for you. Or we judge people and say, how can you do that? And yet, we're doing it in our own lives. You know, don't go that way. Don't go that way. Let's not go that way. You know, it's, it's very tragic. It's tragic for the cause. It's tragic for ourselves. And it's tragic for everyone around us. You know, it's like, that's my, one of my major concerns for being a father is that I wouldn't stand in the way of my daughter coming to know the Lord. You know, I'm sure I'm going to screw up. I already screwed up many times. But, I, you know, I never want her to look at me or my life and go, well, this is how dad was. I don't want anything to do with Jesus. You know, she says, Jesus. She goes, Jesus. And it's very close to the word cheese. And she loves cheese. And she loves to say Jesus. You know? And I hope she always loves to say Jesus. I hope she gets saved and doesn't make any of the mistakes I've made in life. I hope she learns from my foolishness. But I never want her to look at me and go, well, you know, Dad did that, so I don't want anything to do with it. And not that there isn't grace or things that can happen, but that's my biggest concern for being a father is that I represent the Father. And I hope that's true, and I hope that I live that way with her. But... But Romans, pray for me. But Romans 6, 1 through 2 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? You know, there's grace when we sin. There's grace when we fall. But if we continue in sin, what does that say about the one who saved us? It's like, if we're in a marriage and we're continually cheating on our spouse, what does that say about our marriage? Yeah, maybe we're stuck in sin. That's obviously the case, but... You know, what does that say? In the same way, if we say that we know Jesus, and yet our lives don't look anything like it. Like, it really hit me. I was driving home on the, on the way today on the thruway, and it's amazing you can think about anything other than driving when you're on the thruway at rush hour. But um, traffic has been light, I guess. But that I really realized, like, you know, sometimes we want to aspire to be like God and, and His godliness, and like, God, you know, make me like you, you know. But really, you know, it kind of hit me that God was a man, too. He's 100% man, 100% God. I was like, you know, God, please make me like a man like you're a man. And I think that, that hopefully that should be your heart, that, Lord, like, how did you live your life? How are you as a person, even though you're the perfect person, make me like you practically? Because sometimes we can walk around and, and know all the verses, but our lives don't practically look like Jesus's. We haven't laid our lives down in any area, in any area. You know, there's grace, but it's God who makes that call. If we do things that disqualify us or we sin and, and we take it to the Lord, and he says, there's grace for that, then continue. But if he says, no, I, you know, there's too many things that have gone on, like with David, where he had blood on his hands from murdering Uriah, he said, you can't build the temple. So David said, okay, I totally agree with you, God, because he was repentant. And what did he do? He got all the stuff together. He's like, Solomon, check it out. <laughs> you know, I got tons of stuff in the garage for you to play with later. <laughs> hey, Dad. <laughs> but um, really, like, you know, sometimes we can disqualify ourselves. And really, you know, if God has disqualified you from a certain area, it doesn't mean that he's disqualified you from every area. And thankfully, he's always got, a, he's always got another plan. You know, it's like God has the perfect will for our lives. He's like, I want to get you to heaven, and I want to take you along the most awesome scenic route to get there. And I'm closing up with this. But sometimes, you know, on our spiritual GPS, we're following God's directions, and we go, oh, you know, TCBY, and, you know, we make a left. And then, oh, this is how we make a ride. And all of a sudden, we end up in, like, you know, Connecticut. And we're behind schedule. But God will always reroute us. God will always say, okay, well, you screwed up all these other times. I'm going to reroute you and bring you back. And it may not have been his perfect will initially for you, but somehow, I don't really understand it, and that's okay. And in sovereignty, he works out his next best will for you, or next best. And my question is, 
how many next best do we want? You know, how many next best are we willing to settle for? You know, and I say it to all of us. You know, let's not let's not settle for God's next best. Let's you know reroute, reroute. Let's get back on track with that. You know, He can take back as my mom would always share with me the years that the locusts have eaten. So that let's pray, Father. I thank you for your grace and God that uh, Lord you've worked in. Um, you're working in all our lives, God. That's indisputable, God. We can deny it, but. Lord, it's true. You work in everyone's lives and you're interested in everyone, uh, unbelievers and believers alike. And I pray, Lord, that just for everyone in here, Lord, uh, myself included, that, Lord, you'd help us to uh, really relight that fire ourselves in a way, not to bring strange fire, but to go back to where we lost it, to go back to that place where we've been intimate with you and maybe we left, um, whether it's a small thing or a big thing. And, Lord, you restored Peter You've restored me, and you've restored many other people. And I pray, Lord, that whatever disqualifications have gone on in here, Lord, I pray that you would restore them and bring grace. And, God, whatever plans you have for us, God, that we would seek out. And I just ask for your blessing on everyone here, and that those unbelievers in our lives, Lord, you would reach through us. Give us boldness. Give us grace. Give us mercy. And, uh, Lord, may you just bless us tonight and come back soon, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.